Hello, I'm Amber Athey, The Spectator's Washington editor, and I'm here to encourage you to subscribe to The Spectator's American edition. If you visit spectator.us forward slash subscribe, you can get our print and digital edition for just $7.99 a month. This means you get unlimited access to our amazing website and we'll send you a beautiful 80-page monthly magazine. You'll also have access to our mobile app. Subscribe now at spectator.us forward slash subscribe. You won't regret it. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics? The answer, of course, is no. I'm joined today by Dominic Green, who is the deputy editor of The Spectator's World Edition. And we're going to be asking, can Democrats criticise Israel? And Dom, the reason why we're asking this question is to do with the, the, the escalating conflict in the Middle East at the moment, and it's interesting to me, and I think to a lot of people, that Biden has not really come out and said anything particular about this. The only senior Democrat I can think of who's said something is Andrew Yang, who wants to be mayor of New York. And he said that he supported Israel and its right to defend itself. And then he promptly had to backtrack and apologise, which raises an interesting question about what is the relationship between the Democratic Party and Israel? Can senior Democrats criticise Israel? What do you think? Well, Freddie, it's really a two-part answer. There's the relationship between the US and Israel, and then there's the internal politics of the US, which is the relationship between the Democratic Party and American Jews. And these two things aren't really the same. The majority of American Jews vote Democratic, 70% in November, and that's about average for the last few decades. But relations between the US and Israel, regardless of which party's in power, are often quite rocky. The Obama administration was frequently at odds with Benjamin Netanyahu. And uh, one of the interesting things that was happening before this outbreak of violence between Israel and Hamas was trying to guess exactly where the lines were being drawn for the Biden administration. Uh, and a big regional play the Biden administration wants to achieve is, of course, reviving the Iran deal and even making it tougher. And it's muttered that the Israeli-Palestinian track would not be something it would devote much attention to. In other words, they might have come to the conclusion that it was more trouble than it was worth. Well, let's talk about Trump, because, I mean, the, the, the sort of the superficial impression we had was that the Abrahamic Accords were a great breakthrough, that we'd managed to get, you know, Middle East peace was on its way because Donald Trump through some magical combination of his own weird marketing genius and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, had kind of achieved the impossible and had brought Saudi Arabia close to Israel and had managed to sort of isolate Iran in, in a spectacular way. And then, of course, he goes and it all vanishes and we're back to hostilities. Is that down to Trump going or is it the fact that actually what he built up was not as real as it seemed to be at the time? Well, in, I think I would say in terms of American policy, it very much has to do with 
the subsuming of not just this issue in foreign policy, but all issues in American politics into partisanship, that if Israel becomes the favorite friend of Donald Trump, you can guarantee that the Democrats would not want to have the same relationship. But there's also the regional uh, shifts that have gone on. And in that respect, you know, Trump's plays worked because he and Israel and the Gulf Arab states worked around the Palestinians. They simply cut them out of the picture. There is no better way of reminding people that you're still there and you still have a case than firing rockets at them, in fact. So Hamas have reinserted themselves into this picture. Uh, Trump was able to kick the Palestinian issue down the road. It was meant to be fixed at some point. But of course, the region as a whole is in enormous flux. And the question of Iran and its role in the region is, is the key question now. But do you think it was important for the American government, the, the reason why it seemed to work under Trump, I'm not saying it did, but it seemed to work under Trump briefly with the Abraham Accords was because America clearly chosen a side. America was clearly behind Israel and was not trying to negotiate peace. It was trying to push Israel's agenda. And that worked in a way, in a very realistic way that worked. Well, I mean, the the blunt fact is that you get more achieved by working with your friends than trying to persuade your enemies. And that doesn't make your enemies go away. But there are things that are achievable and there are things that aren't. And I think one question that in a way still has to be settled is have the democratic foreign policy people fully absorbed the lessons of how catastrophic the failure of of the Oslo process and the whole two-state peace processing all the way through the 90s and early 2000s, whether they finally got the message that there is very little domestic constituency for this among either Israelis or Palestinians, in fact. And it's not entirely clear that they have got that message and that they're still making the same noises. That said, there's an absolute limit that can be achieved by simply giving Netanyahu what he wanted. In fact, Trump gave him so much that Netanyahu didn't know what to do with it. Trump <laughs> said, yes, you can take 30% of the West Bank. And Netanyahu was paralyzed by this moment of decision and didn't actually annex it when he had this opportunity. I suppose another question is, what, what is America's role now? I mean, is China becoming more important in terms of settling Middle Eastern disputes? Does the world look to America? Yes, and this is a very good question. If the United States is withdrawing from the region, and I think that's very sensible because it has not been able to achieve its regional goals at all, then uh, why exactly it should attempt to micromanage a conflict that even the parties involved think cannot be resolved in our lifetimes, but can only um, have the temperature taken down a little bit now and then. It's a very good question why the United States should have done that. And the answer is perhaps in this, as in many other things, this is a hangover from the immediate aftermath of the end of the Cold War, where the United States was the sole superpower that had the global policeman's role of fixing things all over. And yes, there's a domestic constituencies, evangelical Christians, as well as American Jews, are very keen on supporting Israel and fixing the peace process and so on. But as I said, it can't be fixed. So perhaps the United States would be actually better backing off a little from this and seeing what the parties themselves can achieve, because they, after all, are stuck with it. Well, let's talk about the parties a bit. I think we've established there's some division within the Democrats on Israel. And someone like Biden now is very torn between, or Andrew Yang is very torn between the public professions of support for Israel and the fact that the party or a lot of the party want him to be anti-Israel. Let's talk about that a little bit, but also I'd like you to to tell me a little bit about what happens with the Republicans. Are the Republicans now the 
the party that backs Israel against the radical left, or do they try and play in a in a more complicated way? Well, I think actually I've just written a piece uh, today on on our site about this. The younger, a great much more radical uh, side of the Democrats are virulently hostile to Israel. Uh, and virulently enthusiastic about the Palestinians. Uh, and this marks a real uh, sea change within the Democratic Party. It's not clear how long the people who run the Democratic Party are much more centrist, how long they can contain this enthusiasm. We've seen in the first months of Biden's administration all kinds of gestures towards the woke agenda and hostility to Israel is a sort of collateral effect of that. It's part of the bundle of opinions that mark a young left-wing person as a person of virtue. And that, of course, may actually turn into policy. But there are powerful factors pushing against that, such as the functional use of the relationship to say, you know, the Pentagon is not going to be so swayed by the woke argument. Uh, As for the Republicans, I think there's a danger of this becoming such a a partisan culture war issue that the Republicans end up taking positions which are more extreme than those uh, of most Israeli right-wing politicians. Well, you talk about, um, I mean, people talk a lot about anti-Semitism in this conversation, and I'd like to ask you about this. Do you think that the Republican side in this conversation become so besotted with the idea of anti-Semitism that any criticism of Israel is made to seem like anti-Semitism? Is that a problem on the right as well as the left? Well, it's certainly very useful for the Republicans who, when they face accusations of all kinds of bigotry against all kinds of groups to be able to point on good grounds at the Democratic left and say, look at these people, how can you deny it? You know, these people are maniacs. So it does very much serve them, and that is a a, a domestic political point scoring. Uh, The wider question, which is uh, what happens to a society where where anti-Semitism becomes firmly rooted in one of its major political parties, well, historically, it suggests that that society is not in good political health. It's the equivalent of a nervous breakdown to move from talking about interests are talking about peace and negotiations and all the rest of it and regional stability, to go from that to, to talking about you know, the Jews running the government, that, that indicates that people are losing the plot. And of course, if, if we look at American politics in recent years, losing the plot is the one consistent thread that unites the two parties. <laughs> well, do you think that's the problem, though, that, I mean, the Republican Party's support base has become quite interested in conspiracy theories. That's often connected to anti-Semitism, you know, in one way or another. I mean, do you worry that the way forward for the right is anti-Semitism and the way forward for the Democrats is anti-Semitism? I worry that it's it's, uh, for the right that it's often unthinkingly part of the baggage, that if if you have a conspiracy theory in mind, sooner or later the Jews appear in it as as kind of a cameo role, if not the star turn. I think the big difference between right and left on this is that the left has the institutional power that... On the right, what you see is the equivalent of a mob of peasants. These are people who have no great political power. Even when they rallied to Donald Trump, their concerns were not really met. On the left, on the other hand, we have an institutional power. It is fashionable and ideological and thoughtful to be unnecessarily hostile to Israel and see a malicious Jewish hand in all kinds of affairs. That, I would say, represents a far greater threat in the long term to the stability of American society and in the short term even to the security of American Jews. Dominic Green, I think we'll end it there, but thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. 
And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review.